0: what's the next P? So the next P is processes. <laughs> and processes are kind of like extra strategy. Nobody really thinks about them until something bad happens in their company. you are like, oh, we need a process for that. Processes are ongoing, they're never finite. You know, every time something in your company happens, you need to go, we need a process for that. You need to go add it to the process manual. Most people get this wrong, Sydney, because most business owners, they structure their process around their own agenda, not around the customer experience. McDonald's started a uh, McDonald's franchise started McDonald's back in 1950. They said, we're gonna start a fast food restaurant with a fast food system. Nobody had done it. They said, we're gonna create the processes around the customer's experience. What do we want a customers to experience? Great tasting food that's hot, fast, 30 seconds or less. Because they designed those processes back in 1950 and they've been tweaked along the way, it's the reason you can eat at McDonald's anywhere in the world and get the same experience. So you gotta go back to your clients and ask them, what do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us? What do you need? And design your processes around their experience. And then you need to create wild experiences. Have you ever been on the phone with a bank, a social media company, a retail outlet, where you got a major problem? You gotta push like 10 buttons before you get a live person on the phone. You tell them your entire story and what do they do? Oh, I'm sorry, I have to transfer you. <laughs> and they either <laughs> hang up on you by accident, So they say, or they transfer you to a person who still can't help you. So we got to get back to the basics. You know, there are so many companies. I would say I would never do business with them again. So many companies. And then our processes should be productive and effective, efficient. If they're not, then you're going to see it in your numbers because processes can make or break your company. You know, and they need to be well-papered. You need your policy and procedure manuals. You need your employee handbooks. You need those org charts. The next P is the highest value driver. This is proprietary. So crash course on evaluations. If you have a business that's under a million dollars in EBITDA, it will typically trade for one to three and a half times earnings. Maybe four if you have a lot of synergies. But if you have over a million dollars in EBITDA, it typically starts four and a half, five and up, depending upon these proprietary assets. So there are six pillars of proprietary. It takes me a little bit, but the last two are quick. Number one is branding. The more well-branded you are, the more I can sell your company for, as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumer. Is anybody paying any money for Blockbuster? No. <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. The most valuable brand in the world is, do you know? Would it be Amazon? Mm -mm. It's the other A. Apple. Yep. $359 billion. That's just for the brand. $359 billion. That's not assets, inventory, cash flow, real estate. That's just the brand alone. Then trademarks. Trademark your company name or slogan, your podcast, your products. But here's a mistake the business owners make. They're like, yes, there's a great name. And they go to GoDaddy and they get the dot com and they're so excited. And they go to their state. And they get a trademark, a local trademark. They never check the federal database to make sure that corporate name is available. So they could be in business 5, 10, 15 years and all of a sudden receive a cease and desist letter and they have to stop using that company name. Yes.
1: Yeah. I'm trademarked so, at the moment, a business, a brand that I've had for 10 years and it wasn't in federal two- trademark, federal. Yes. Uh, somebody uh, started using it. They started using it and making millions of dollars with it. And I, I've been using it for 10 years. So I but they hadn't trademarked so I went out and started trademarking. Well, if you've been
0: using it for 10 years then you have what they call squatter squatters rights. Yeah. You know, I tell people put the little TM behind it
1: mm. and you
0: have squatters rights, but you really should check it because so many people you're lucky that nobody else had it. So many business owners are operating under the premise that nobody else has their company name. Well, it
1: turned out somebody else had just put an application in, but because I have yeah. rights, my lawyer's pretty good. Uh, right, yeah. Yeah, he's, well, they call it existing use, right? So um, that's the technical term. And uh, anyway, so we put in the application for the federal, and then of course, the international, because I work internationally, I work internationally. That's
0: another thing. You got to yeah. make sure you have international. Yeah. And here's what people also forget, Sydney, is they forget their products. So if you have products, You have to get those federally trademarked too. We have a company we're selling around $60 million. They have 12 different products. Each product has an exclusive um, exclusivity to it. And each product is in a retail chain store. So one's in Walmart, one's in Target, one's in TJ Maxx. Each one of them has a federal trademark. Mm Strategists and competitors will pay a lot of money for that.
1: Mm, Trademarks are valuable. Patents and trademarks, right? Patents is
0: next. Yeah, I mean, we sold a company that wasn't making much money for $18 million, but they had 18 patents. If you ever watch Shark Tank, what all the sharks always ask? Do you have a patent have on a that? Do you have a yeah, patent, patent Vinny. on that? Yeah, right. yeah. Right. So patents are huge. And then contracts, manufacturing contract, vendor contracts, distribution, or with franchisees, any type of exclusive contracts, also client contracts, especially if they have a subscription model with reoccurring revenue, Those are very valuable, very valuable to buyers, but the biggest mistake that business owners make with contracts is guess what they forget. None of them do this. I've never seen one company get this right in 20 plus years. They need the transferability clause that says this contract is transferable upon a new entity because 98% of all sales are stock sales, not asset sales, Mm -hmm. and If your buyer doesn't agree to a stock sale, I'm sorry, 98% of all sales are asset sales, not stock sales. I got that backwards. Um, And if your buyer doesn't agree to a stock sale and your clients don't agree to sign a consent to transfer, then your deal could fall apart in its tracks. Mm -hmm. Plus, Mm -hmm. let's say you have to stop using a company name. It no longer belongs to you. You can't transfer those contracts upon a new entity without permission to do so.
1: Mm-hmm. So you need those two shots for I ability clause. They're one of the most diabolical things in business. I find pretty much every time uh, I've been shafted into business deals because we didn't have the appropriate contracts, but you don't know all the right contracts until you, re- until you
0: don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. It's what I always say.
1: Yeah. And yeah. So that's where you really need people who understand how to write the right commercial contracts. So do you guys do that in your firm? Do you have all those?
0: Like no, a- because we're not attorneys, so yeah. we don't practice law, <laughs> but we do have attorneys that we refer out to that we've been working with for over 20
1: years. And that's important. Finding yeah. good attorneys, you actually really understand. Well, and you want to you if
0: you're gonna sell your business, you want attorneys to specialize in MA. Yes. So many of my clients are like, Oh, I'm just gonna use my attorney. I'm like, oh no, that's a mistake. <laughs> 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 oh, my attorney knows. I'm like, no, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> you need to use an M&A attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, databases was the next thing under proprietary. Mm-hmm. Databases are really big, and you can sell even if your your business can be losing money, Sydney. Mm-hmm. And if you have a big database, it can be repurposed and retargeted. Then companies will pay a lot of money for that. Like Facebook paid nineteen billion dollars for WhatsApp, and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money, hemorrhaging. So build your database. So and this, then the other, when
1: you say database, you're talking about mailing lists, or like in the case of which it's it's just basically it's a collection of, of consumers. Particular? Now, I'm talking about your
0: CRM, your, your yeah. CRM, it, mm-hmm. and it shouldn't just be mailing addresses in a Rolodex, it needs to be digital, mm-hmm. it needs to be online, and it should be your CRM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's your that's anybody who's contacted you, clients, you know, at email addresses, phone numbers, physical addresses. You know, Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp because WhatsApp had a billion users. Even though they were losing money, they had a billion users.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Celebrity endorsements are big. We have a client that has products with Oprah. Strategics will pay more money for that because everybody wants their products in front of the queen of everything. Same thing with radio personalities. Radio personalities and celebrities can only endorse one vertical at a time. One skincare, one diet company, one educational platform. Because they lose credibility. Do you ever see a radio personality endorsing more than one diet company?
1: Or do you yeah. ever see a celebrity endorsing that. more than one diet company? Yeah, you, no. You can't have a celebrity endorsing two different types of cars, for instance. You know exactly. Got to so brand. Yeah. When you get those
0: prime, see, we were selling a skincare company that had all those prime spots, and we got strategics to outbid everybody else because they wanted those spots. You can't get those spots on the radio unless that contract gets bumped off for whatever reason.:
1: Yeah, and one of my friends sold her business for just under a billion dollars because of her placement, product placements in all the different retail outlets product Same placement way. is huge. Yeah. So, you know, uh, she, but she, was she online or in store, so it was like in big stores, like Walmart. Yeah. And stuff, so so in
0: big stores, online mm-hmm. product placement, meaning let's say you make pillows and you're number one on Etsy or number one on Wayfair for yeah. pillows. Let's say you make vacuum cleaners and you're number one on um, Amazon, you know, product placement in the store, product placement online is huge that creates a huge multiple. So, That's, you know, evaluations are more of an art rather than a science, but these are the synergies that we determine what buyers are willing to outbid everybody else and pay a higher price for these synergies. Mm -hmm. Patrons is number five, we're almost there. That's your customer database. And, you know, most businesses in America follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of their clients. Mm -hmm. So that's, if you have customer concentration, you're in big trouble. Mm -hmm. Most businesses, Sydney, have customer concentration we were working with a media uh, marketing advertising firm. They have five clients. So <laughs> we were selling them in the 10 to 15 million range and they lost two clients during the process. They serve as casinos. Oh. So the biggest casinos, yeah. but they're even a dropped in half. The revenues dropped in half and mm. they were no longer sellable. We had to merge them with another company. Yeah. So the last P the reason we're all in business is for profits is the last P. And so everybody wants to make money. But everybody thinks lack of profits is the problem. No, lack of profits is the symptom of not operating on one of the other five P's. My mm-hmm. client's come to me all the time and say, I have a profit problem. I'm like, nope, you got a people problem. Nope, you got a process problem.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm teaching people all the time that there's this just there's some five very simple elements that they can improve in their business that can massively increase their profits. And people are blown away because what I'm finding is So many business owners don't really look at their numbers. Do you find that too? Oh, of course, of
0: course, of course. They don't know their numbers. If I ask business owners how much you make, they usually can tell me the revenue pretty quickly, but they can't tell me their income. They can't tell me what they're taking out of the business. They can't tell me their seller's discretionary or their adjusted EBITDA. Yeah. They don't know their numbers.
1: Absolutely. And so then when you're working with a company if it's looking like it's promising on the outside when somebody first pres, you know, presents a company to you, you would then do like a, an audit. You'd go through and kind of like figure out what they've got, uh, what are their assets, what are their, um, you, I guess you're looking at all these things, some of, the, some of which you've been able to share with us today. But.
0: And we're looking at all that stuff. We're also taking them through, I think it's chapter two that talks about seller sanity check and the emotions
1: of selling a business.
0: We're taking them through the seller sanity check Prioritizing what's the most important thing to them. Is it price? Is it walk away? You know, what they make when they walk away? Is it their employees? Is it their clients? And then we also walk them through what I call the beginning strategy, what they're going to do next. Because <laughs> if we don't get them focused on what they're going to do after they sell their
1: business, they'll sabotage the deal and they won't close. Uh, true. Yeah. Or they'll blow yep. the money because they, you know, they, Well, I don't
0: care if they blow the money because I'm (laughs) out by then. (laughs) But look, I had a manufacturing business that I talk about owned by husband and wife. I bought them three offers, all met their terms and their conditions. They net picked each offer. Really, nothing was wrong with either any of the offers, but it was them. It was their emotional you know, it was their emotional paralysis that kept them from moving forward. And so I finally said to them, I said, look, I'm taking this business off the market. I'm done. And they go, what do you mean you're done? And I go, I bought you three offers. You need to, you two need to go home, talk to each other, really spend some time together, go on vacation, figure it out. And I go, figure what out? And I go, figure out what you're going to do next. Figure out your Mm. beginning strategy. Mm. And then a month and a half later, they call me and they're like, okay, Michelle, we got it. That was like the best exercise ever,
1: Michelle.
0: Oh, and they go, we've always been, they were high school sweethearts. Oh. And they go, we've always been passionate about bed and breakfasts. And even as kids in high school, they they used to travel to bed and breakfasts with their families. And they said, we always wanted to do a bed and breakfast, but they got stuck in manufacturing. And they forgot, and people forget about their passions. They forget mm-hmm. about what they were once passionate about. You know, what got their juices flowing. They forget about that. Mm-hmm. And so they said, we're going to take the proceeds and we're going to go buy our store uh, a bed and breakfast. And I said, okay, perfect. The next deal I bought them, boom, they closed oh. on it and are living happily ever after our uh, Great. That's right.
1: that's-
0: <laughs> so you can see there's a lot of moving parts to sell in a
1: company, a lot. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing so generously. And um, I remember when I met you, I just thought, wow, you know, here's the thing: she's got the beauty and the brains. So, we, um, you know, it's a big surprise package. Do you get that from a lot of people that they're like, wow, you? I saying, do. Oh. Somebody, yeah, call you honey. Yeah, call me honey. <laughs> I had I had somebody I was working with the other day called me sweetheart, and I was like. Why does that bother me so much? And I thought about it quite a bit and I thought, because it's a patronizing term. It was a man called me sweetheart. But thought, who do I call sweetheart? Really, just my kids and people that are in my, you know, the, in my thought, circle, deep friends, you know, really long term friends and stuff. So it, it's a funny thing. Do you, do you find that being a woman in business that like every now and then? You know,
0: again, that, that kind of stuff doesn't really bother me too much. If you call me honey or call me sweetheart or something like that, I think what bothers me more. Is when we go to some of these events, and I'm part of masterminds and events, and you know, it seems that so the organizer of the event is always male, right? They seem to always be male. <laughs> they promote the males, they give them more stage time, mm. they promote them more, and in, in leading up to that mastermind or that you know, speaking event. There's always that boy's that's, club. That that's, boys yeah, club. the boy's club is what irritates me more than anything. Yeah. I'm in a man's world. I knew that 20 something years ago, the first time I walked in a convention, there were 3000 men in MA. And they are like, honey, I think you're in the wrong conference. The dermatology conference is down the street, is in the next room. And I'm like, no, maybe you need dermatology. I'm here for MA. <laughs> And that was 20 plus years ago. So no, calling me honey or calling me sweetheart. None of that stuff really bothers me. What bothers me more is that there's still this good old boys club where you got women paying you the same amount as men, paying you twenty five, thirty, fifty thousand dollars dollars $50,000 to be part of your organization. And they're not getting the same stage time. They're not getting the same promotion. They're not getting the same coverage. That's what bothers me. If you want to treat us less and charge us less.
1: Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah, I agree with you. And yeah. so, so what's next for you now? When uh, you're gonna, you're launching the book, and uh, you're going to be doing some masterminds at Sharon's Ranch. That'll so be wonderful. And are you planning to get back on stage? Where can people find you? Yep, yeah, absolutely. You
0: know, I love speaking on stage. I mean, I like Zoom too. I just spoke at Harvard the other day on Zoom, and that was fun. And I've done you know Small Business Expo, Business Opportunity, YPO. I'm actually speaking at YPO. Um, in, the, in October, October, November um, over in Jersey that they, they bought 200 books. So yeah, speaking on stage is, is I love that, you know um, in lieu of speaking fees, Sharon and I will, I think wave, well, I know I will, Sharon, thinks think Sharon will, she says she would, <laughs> but we'll waive our, speak, we'll our speaker fees in lieu of buying books. So, you know, just promoting the book is what's big for me. We are sending up other offices for Salar Tucker um, so expanding our brand is big. Um, I do have other, other
1: you're going into other cities, uh-huh.
0: uh huh. Yep. And
1: is this mainly in the U.S. or international?
0: U.S. right now, and then international. Right. And um, so expanding our brand is big. I got several more books in front, and you know, in me. I write every one of my own books. I tried to ghostwriter, and that
1: worked very well. <laughs> I write so, my uh, books now. It took me a really long time to write my first book. I, I just because I was. I was so worried about what people would you know, judge me. I was afraid that it wouldn't be good enough. And yeah. I find now that I've worked with hundreds of authors, that's very common that that we all yeah. worry about being judged. But once you well, get- Well, you it know, when that- I
0: sent my manuscript to Sharon, I'm like, David, what if she doesn't like it? He goes, well, you relax, Michelle. She's <laughs> going to love it. But um, I type every single word in my book. Every single word is typed mm-hmm. by me. No ghostwriting, none of that. Um, and I'm not saying it's not good because I think it is good for those individuals that just can't get their thoughts out you know um
1: well yeah generally if we're ghost writing a book with somebody it's because they're just busy and writing is not their forte or you know yeah. quite often we'll work with high level executives who are dyslexic for instance you know a lot of dyslexic people reach high levels of leadership but they don't want to sit down and write a book it's a challenge for them so yeah you just interview it out of them and as long as it is actually their story um i actually tried working with a ghostwriter on my first book and he he wasn't taking he wasn't taking any recordings he was taking notes and then of course when he produced the book I was I was really disappointed in it because it wasn't the book that I I had in my mind uh funnily enough though that was about 10 years ago and I reached out to him recently and said do you still have that book because now I'm that person <laughs> <laughs> and he went oh I know it's on an old hard drive somewhere and I know I've got it somewhere on an old hard drive but it's a shame really because he wrote the whole manuscript and, you know, it, it was actually kind of like a whole how to be a billionaire book, which I wasn't ready for 10 years ago, but a lot of people are saying to me now, you're teaching people how to be a millionaire, now you have to teach people how to be a billionaire. But I don't, you know what I find Michelle is, most people are not ready to be even be a millionaire that I'm that I'm coaching.
0: They, they need
1: to do so much work on what's happening on the inside of their head before they Well, can- that's exactly right.
0: You know, yeah. you just hit the nail on the head because I always say, because I partner with business owners investing my money, mm. you know, my expertise, my resources. And a lot of times I'm butting my head up against the wall with them. And I always say, you'll never grow the owner. You'll never grow the business past what you can grow the owner. Mm. You'll never grow the business beyond what you can grow the owner. You got to grow the owner. And it's so hard to grow the owner. If you've ever watched a profit on CNBC with Marcus Lemonis, yeah, I love that. He yes. tells him what to do. He leaves for a couple of weeks. He comes back and they do the opposite. Or <laughs> well, he changes the branding, changes the name, changes the colors. He goes back and they get the whole sign back up. <laughs> <laughs> And that goes back to what I said that business owners are married to their original concept. And here's the bottom line. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to check your ego out the door, got to check your ego out the door. You got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You got to listen to other people's expert advice. Otherwise don't bother to ask them. Don't bother to go on the show. Don't bother to hire me. You know, you got to listen to them.
1: I I just started working with a new client who uh, she had, so much. This is what I find she does a lot. She's got a PhD. She's got a year's worth of, of intellectual property that's all ready to be launched. And I said to her, "Here's what I'll do. I think I can make a lot more money and help you by partnering with you rather than I'll, I'll like take a shareholding in your business and help you grow it." And so we've been we've been having a few meetings where she, her languaging is constantly, um, "Well, I'd like to do this, but the problem is." And I noticed this was a pattern. And I said to her. I want you to just dump all your ideas down and then start everything that you can see the problem in before you can see the solution. I want you to just put that one aside and we'll work on what the solution is separately because mm-hmm. you're so caught up in all the reasons why you can't move forward that we can't move forward, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I call I call that the big butt syndrome where everybody's big butt gets in their way of success.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. As soon as you and advice, and, and going, Oh, only. no, no, I
1: tried that once, tried that 20 years ago, and it didn't work, right? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, you just got to get rid of the big butt. <laughs> love it. Love it.
0: <laughs> so, everyone that? can go to Exit Rich. Let me tell you a little bit about the book Exit Rich, because I know okay. you've got a hard stop. But yeah. D Forbes endorsed Exit Rich, saying it's a goldmine for entrepreneurs as they leave way too much money on the table when they go to sell their business. Sharon Lecter, you already know, is my co author who wrote Rich Chapter of Robert Kiyosaki. And Kevin Harrington, the original shotgun Shark Tank, wrote the forward. Plus, we have Jack Canfield, everybody you know, Jack Canfield, Brian Tracy, James Melinchek, Mark Victor Hansen, Les Brown. We got um, Brad Sugars from Action Coach, Brandon Dawson from Grant Cardone's team. And then we also have Brian and Tom Hopkins as well. So so many great testimonials, you know, saying that the Exit Rich is a true blueprint on how to build a sustainable, scalable business. So you actually do have a sellable asset. So we're in the middle of launch week, very exciting. Everyone can go to, I encourage you to go to exitrichbook.com instead of Amazon because that's where all the value is. And so at exitrichbook.com for $24 and 79 cents, depending upon when you order books it will determine if it includes shipping or not. Um, we will also give you a, uh, a, we will email the digital download to your um, computer immediately so you can start reading it now. We'll give you a lifetime membership in the Exit Rich Book Club. And this is where all the magic is because I do video training, where I do deep dives and different strategies and techniques. I've been training for the last 20 years in the, in the industry, plus documents, documents to operate your business, documents to sell your business. So, sample policy and procedure manuals, org charts you know, employee handbooks. We have sample letter of intents, purchase agreements, due diligence, checklists, due diligence data rooms. We have all of that. Plus oh, we that have closing sense. documents yeah. and closing documents and all these documents, Sydney, will cost you over $50,000 if you oh, want an attorney to and recreate. Just,
1: and you wouldn't even know where to find a lot of them. Like, you know, even if you could. And like you said, oh, you, oh, you like, don't you know, know which
0: ones are right. right.
1: You know? well,
0: yeah. And then we, yeah, so that's over $50,000. Plus we're also given a 30-day free membership in a club CEO's which is an entrepreneurship mastermind where we ask those transformational questions, how business owners pivot, so they can build that sustainable, scalable, and when they're ready, sellable asset. And all of that is at exitrichbook.com for $24.79.
1: Wonderful. And we'll put the link here on wherever you're watching or hearing this. So exitrichbook.com. And uh, that is, I'm so glad you explained that to us because the book itself is yeah a must read for pretty much anybody in business or thinking about going into business because I always start, every time I'm coaching one of my clients, even if it's just for a book, I say, what are we building here? What are our goals? Where? What is the big game? Right. And always thinking, because I started out buying and selling businesses you know, when I was young. And and so I'm always thinking, is this a saleable asset at the end? I'm going to put all this effort in because quite often when you take over small businesses that are under, that are under managed, you know, that you want to flip. The you don't actually get paid until you sell, right? Because you're yep. reinvesting, you're you're constantly reinvesting and growing. So this book is a must-read for anybody who's thinking about going into business or is in business. And then if you buy it through ExitRichBook.com, you will also get all these amazing assets and trainings So um, I think you can already tell just from the time we spent with Michelle that she knows this. She knows business. So <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much for doing this interview. It's wonderful. Thank you, Sydney. Us wonderful to catch up.
0: Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure being with you. Thank you so much. I'm forever grateful for you.
1: Uh, And you so glad that we got to meet and be friends.
0: Yes, me too. All those years ago, we need a reunion.
1: (laughs) Sounds good.
0: (laughs) All right. Thanks, Sydney.